and turn with me to the New Testament book of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews. Now this is a letter written to people, particularly Jews, who are facing some particularly difficult days. Persecution, difficult, difficult times to follow Jesus. When proclaiming his name makes you a target. Now the writer knows this, also knows that this is, this is a dangerous time for them. Because when it's hard, and when it's really hard, that's when people begin to count their money. Is this worth it? This following Jesus, this making a stand? Are there better options out there? Well, my friend, the key word of this book is better. And the focus is on Jesus. He is indeed better. And here in chapter 1, and you may have noticed a pattern, we've been looking at a lot of chapter 1s here in December. All of them focus greatly and in a magnificent way on who Jesus is. I remember hearing, uh, when I was a wee lad, uh, um, this commercial, and when you hear it, you'll instantly remember it. Long, long, long ago, it was... uh, it was a, a commercial that would start in some public place, a restaurant or an airport or something, and two fellows are talking about their investments, you know, and what his broker is talking about, and the other says, well, my broker is E.F. Hutton. And you remember what happens? All of the airport stops its business and does this. Because, of course, when E.F. Hutton talks, Say it. People listen. Yeah. I'll tell you what, friends. When Jesus talks, people ought to listen. Christmas time, we like to fantasize in our minds about the happy little Jesus playing with fire engines. (laughs) Or little rocks in the shape of Camels, I don't know what Jesus would have played with as a little boy, but do not mistake this truth. That little babe in the manger is God. If we have found anything in our study, the scripture tells us over and over and over again that Jesus isn't just a nice man. He isn't just a righteous man or even just a powerful man. Jesus is indeed God. Not partly God, not mostly God. He is indeed all God. And he has added humanity to himself. The reasons this author tells us why we ought to listen carefully to Jesus and stick with him is, uh, is twofold. Threefold, maybe. The first reason is because of what he has done. And all of these things you will find point to the divinity of Jesus. Notice here in verse 1, it almost starts like Star Wars. A long time ago, in many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by prophets. 
Scripture writers like Moses referred to as prophets. God has been speaking. That surely tells us there is something we must know. But you will notice this, my friends, in verse 2. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed the heir of all things. What possessions did Jesus have when he was just a wee lad growing up in Bethlehem? (laughs) All of it. He is the heir of all things, my friends. You see, Jesus is the ultimate revelation of God. God has spoken to us in these last days by his Son, through whom, you will notice at the end of verse 2, he also created the world. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's Jesus. Jesus, get that in your mind. Jesus, creator of the world. All of these actions, my friend, revealing God, creating the world, all of them demonstrate that Jesus is God. Look at as we continue in verse 3. Friends, underline this, highlight it, cut it out, and put it on your refrigerator. Listen carefully. He, that's Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. What God is, Jesus is. He is God. And notice, again, this action. And he upholds the universe... By the word of his power. You want to know what holds it all together? It is Jesus. Everything falling apart, my friends, from your favorite pair of pants to your sweater. It's all coming apart, but you know who holds it all together? Not your sweater, but everything else. It is the Lord. The Lord Jesus who created it and holds it all together. Because he is God. And note here at the end of verse 3, after making purification for sin, it's an interesting way of saying, having died on the cross for sinners, having paid the penalty for their sin, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. You see, Jesus is the ultimate revelation of God. He created the world. He holds the universe together. And he accomplished salvation for sinners. And you will note some very important points here, friends. You will notice that after he did that, he sat down. Do you know why we we sit down? It's because we have finished what we were doing. Jesus sat down because... Purification for sins was once and all complete at the cross. There is no more dying for our sins, my friend. Christ has died for our sins. And you will notice not only that he sat down, but where he sat down. At the right hand of the majesty on high. The right hand is the place of honor. Dividing the goats and the sheep. The sheep go on the right, the goats go on the left. He wants to be a goat. (laughs) 
Jesus is God, and everything he does points to it. But we don't have to just look at what he does to know who he is. We can take a look at significant testimony. And you will notice some significant testimony in verse 4. What is said about him? He's God. Notice, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, You're my son, today I have begotten you. Or again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And here the writer is pointing to some significant uh, references in the Old Testament. Psalm 110, a very important one. Psalm 2, very important references to Jesus, pointing to the fact that he is God. He is God. You see, the, the Jews had this high le level of respect for the angels, that God used angels. I mean, they're messengers. Of course he did. But their, their view of angels is a little too high. And here the writer is saying, angels, way up there, Jesus. One of those better comparisons. And so having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent, for to which of the angels did God ever say, you're my son? Now that's significant right there. That is very significant. Today I have begotten you. I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. Very significant. You may recall in John chapter 5, Jesus, the Jews were out to kill Jesus, and they tell us why in verse 18. This is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, Jesus, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. The understanding is clear. To say that he is the Son of God is to say that he is God. Jesus is God. It is unmistakable in the word of God. From Colossians to John chapter 1, all of them. And notice again in verse 6, and again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. So the Father testifies that Jesus is his son, telling us he is God. <coughs> and the Father calls all angels to worship him. And who do the angels worship? They worship God. They worship God. And again, when he brings his firstborn into the world, he says, verse 6, let all God's angels worship him. Now of the angels, he says, he makes his angels winds and ministers a flame of fire. You see, angels, they serve God. Jesus, he is God. And let us not forget it. And so we have some testimony about Jesus from God the Father. <clears throat> his actions and the testimony of the Father about who Jesus is. 
And then the author of Hebrews lays out for us some very clear evidence, as if we should not already be thoroughly convinced. Here in verse 8, he lays out, and he begins to lay out the divine attributes of Jesus. Divine attributes. These are attributes that only can be applied to God. Only God are these things. Unless I cough my way through the rest of it. Notice, verse 8, but of the Son, he says, and this is the Father yet again speaking about the Son, and look at what he says, your throne, O God, is forever. Directly, the Father, referring to the Son as God. Hard to deny that. Jehovah's Witnesses would tell you this. Jesus is nothing but a God. I mean, there's lots of gods. You've got the this one and the that one. And, and Jesus is one of those fellows. Not so, my friends. He is God. He is creator God. And he has divine attributes. You see, you know who sits on the throne of God? God does. <laughs> and he is forever and ever the scepter of uprightness the scepter of your kingdom. And you will notice, my friends, in verse 9, one of the attributes of God is that he is righteous. And you have loved righteousness and hated wickedness, therefore God. Your God has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. And here it is again, verse 10. And you... Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. The heavens declare the glory of God. Whose work? God's work. Whose hands? Jesus' hands. He is God. He is creator. And you will note, my friends, to create is exclusively an act of God. God creating is different than, say, creating poetry or music or literature. God creates ex nihilo. It obviously needs no further explanation. It's Latin. It means out of nothing. You and I, we start gathering resources, some paper and tape and paint and all of these things. We, we must find things. <coughs> Not so of Jesus. Ex nihilo, when he creates, he creates from nothing. We, we use Legos to make skyscrapers. Builders use today what has already existed to build. God builds out of nothing. To say that Jesus created the world means that he is God. Are we, are we following the argument here, friends? I sure hope so. Now notice here in verse 11, we have seen that he sits on God's throne. And who sits on God's throne? God. He is marked by righteousness. You and I are not marked by righteousness. But God is. He is the creator. And you will notice in verse 11, he is eternal. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment. He's referencing sweaters that wear out. 
Like a robe, you will roll them up. Like a garment, they will be changed. But you are the same, and your years will have no end. That, my friend, is eternal. Which means, in, by definition, he has no beginning and he will have no end. Now, you and I, on the other hand, we are immortal in that we have a beginning, but we will live forever somewhere. Has anybody ever talked to you about what Jesus has done for you? You see, you and I are sinners, right? Everybody on the planet. Well, just watch him for three or four seconds and you'll see it. Inherent selfishness that causes us to take what does not belong to us, to say what harms other people and what is not true. And yet Christ died for our sin. The penalty for sin is death. That's why Jesus died. He died in our place and for our sin. And he rose from the dead that those whom he forgives would give eternal life. And all he asks is that you trust in him. Oh, think of that. Is there a better gift for Christmas than for someone to come to faith in Christ? You know the gospel, my friends. Maybe rehearse it with your family. Well, Paul wrote about this immortality in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we not only find the one place in the Bible that clearly defines the gospel. Paul talks about, in verse 51, he says this, Behold, I tell you a mystery. Now, what follows next would be a wonderful nursery slogan. Take a look. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. Nursery slogan. Thank you, Brandon, for getting that. <laughs> in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye and at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable. And we shall be changed, for this perishable body must put on imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. And when the imperishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, we will live forever somewhere. And it all depends on what you do with Jesus, who is God. Now notice verse 13. Hebrews uh, chapter 1, verse 13. Again, of these attributes that describe Jesus, he sits on God's throne, therefore he is God. He is marked by righteousness. He is God. He is the creator of all that exists. He is God. He is eternal. He is God. Verse 13, And to which of the angels has he ever said, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who inherit salvation? 
You see, Jesus sitting, sitting at the right hand of the Father, ruling over all because he is God. The evidence is clear, my friends. So Jesus of Christmas, of whom we say he is the reason, he is more than just the Christmas babe, he is God. And as we celebrate Christmas this season, perhaps we ought to rearrange the decorations and say, how do we honor he who is God, who has added flesh to himself that he might die in our place? Perhaps it looks less like Santa Claus. But surely we must honor him for he is God. So make him the center of your life, not just the center of Christmas time. Because God desires to be known. God speaks. This chapter started at various times in various places by various people. God speaks. That hurt just a little bit, but I'm okay. <laughs> he desires to be known, my friends, and this is not about knowledge. This is about intimacy. And but as we rev up for a new year, we begin to plan how we will know God more intimately in 2024. What steps will we take to spend time in His Word and to spend time in prayer? For we know there is only these ways in which we will learn to know anyone, spending time hearing from them, talking to them. He desires to be known, my friends. Study him. And here it is yet again, my friends. God sent his son, the very son of God who is God, so that no one would miss it. That the message would be clear. God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Tell your world. Whatever world God has circling around you, the people he has put in your life, talk to them about Jesus. When you sit at the Christmas table and everyone is laughing, perhaps take a moment to remind them what it's really all about. Or don't. How unsatisfying is that thought? Hold on to it, protect it, my friends, and live it well. Oh, Father in heaven, the truth is abundantly clear. The one we worship is Jesus, our Savior, the very Son of God, who came not just for a holiday, but to die in our place on a cross. To be put in a tomb, dead. And yet to rise, yet again, into new life. And it is him who we serve this day. Help us, God, to live well. Lead us. 
Give us wisdom and discernment as we navigate this holiday season, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.